Hello, I'm Mike Nagrant, and you're listening to Hungry Magazine from Chicago, Illinois. Three, two, one more time. Hey there, welcome back for another edition of Hungry Magazine Podcasts. This week I sit down with Marcus Samuelson of Seahouse and Mark Berger here in Chicago, and of course Aqua V and Mercado 55 in New York City. Enjoy the interview. First of all, uh, well, you know, one of the things I did recently was I did uh, sort of a local roundup of all the new burger places, and mm-hmm. of course you have Mark Burger and yeah. Macy's, yeah. and uh, yours actually turned out to be the best. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you I wondered, you know, it, what, what's the secret to doing that? I mean, it seems like a difficult setting to, you know, have maybe consistency or... Um, you know, produce a great product. I mean, and not just because it's Macy's, but you're, you're serving a lot of people. Um, you've got a lot going on, you know. It, I wonder if there's sort of a secret to, to, you know, putting out a good burger consistently like that. Well, first of all, when I looked at Mark Burgers, it came from my passion of really uh, Thank you. burgers, right? And burgers is something that you know, so iconic in America. We really identify, as foreigners, we really identify with America with burgers. As Americans, we identify with, with, with burgers, you know? Uh, so I thought, well, what, what's the difference between a burger I like and a burger I don't like, right? And some of the values in the restaurant you can actually transcend into a burger place. Mm-hmm. We, we are picky about our buns. I wanted to have a potato bun, and I wanted it to be simple as toasted in butter. Just small, tiny, tiny thing like that. And we all had the ones that is not toasted, and it's just no texture, right? Right. So finding a good bun and, and looking at that. Then also the meat. Then picking up beef that was not frozen, that was taken care of the proper way, the way we would buy beef for the restaurant. And there's no reason for us to freeze it. We go through. It's like any restaurant. You can manage it. You know the volume you're going to go through after a week and, and you just manage it that way. So just bringing a lot of those values of the restaurant. Picking good vegetables. Making our own pickles. The whole idea with pickles is that it stays, you know, it's a preserving technique. So that means that you don't have to buy it. That means that you can make it. So for me, it's like always like when you when just start to deconstruct what is this experience, what do you want that experience to be? And put the values of how we cook into it. I think that a burger place transcends that can transcend that perfect obviously there's a lot of things going into it in terms of how we're cooking it and, and all of these different things but that is still pretty much the same as every place for me it was more, even more important looking at the product how can we take care of the product and then also this phenomena on whether you're from Japan, Sweden or America you think about burgers you think about what you like so if you're from Japan, like our fish burger there, for example, we have a glaze of little bit of soy. You know, our, everything that we put on has extra flavor, right? So it's a flavor-driven, it's about the flavor, it's a flavor-driven burger. So those were the things I thought about in terms of the uh, burger. So, you, you know, you, you opened Mercado mm-hmm. 55 this year, and um, of course you're famous for Aquavit. And, you know, both of those kind of honor a different part of your heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, Aquavit, the Scandinavian growing up, and, and Mercado, um, some of the African uh, heritage. Mm-hmm. I wonder, is it, are they equally satisfying, or is it more satisfying to, to honor, you know, you grew up Scandinavian, basically, and so you have probably a lot more nostalgia and memory of what that is, but 
you know, obviously being an Ethiopian is part of who you are as well. I, I wondered how, you know, is it is it the same in each way, or is one more satisfying than the other? Mm. The, the both part, you know, Africa will always be a part of me. Sweden will always be a part of me, and uh, but they're both centered around food and stories around food. Some that I grew up with, some that I experienced as an adult, and they're also both minority cuisines. Not. You know, Swedish cuisine in America is minority food, so the stories has not been told as many times as maybe Italian or maybe French. So they're both, people still have that curiosity. What is it? What could it be? So I think for, it's, more, it's fun for, for me about African cuisine or fun for me about Swedish cuisine is that it gives me a chance to tell the curious customer the story about food from an angle that they might not have had before. At the end of the day, everybody's had chicken to lobster to foie gras at this point. But it's just, this is a new way of doing it. This is our way of doing it. And this is how we serve it and so on. And, and same, thing, I, same thing we see house here. I, always, I was raised around fish, a lot of fish. And not always had a high-end fish, very simple fish, just from mackerel to lobster, depending on the season. And so I always wanted to do a food restaurant that centered around fish and seafood. Uh, and not from a Scandinavian way at this point, actually from an American way. You look at all the sides and our approaches here, it's very Americana. And uh, so I like to, to focus around the story and then build the food around that story because that sort of gives us an entrance to, to buy tables around that, to pour wine around that, to whatever we want to do around that. I wonder, you say there's a lot of American touches here. Uh, one of the things I noticed, and maybe I'm looking too much into it, but, you know, for example, you have the tacos, which have become kind of the signature. Mm -hmm. You were using sofrito. Mm -hmm. You have chorizo. Mm -hmm. um, there seemed to be some, some Mexican or Spanish influence there. I wondered if, if that signals that you guys are you're even moving a little bit towards exploring, you know, Latino cuisine. Latino oh, well, well, I look at America from many ways. You know, Puerto Rico's right there where the sofrito comes from. And you have, you know, you can ask, you know, if you go down south today, uh, southwest, what is the most eaten food? It's probably on the food stands, it's probably tacos. So American food for me today is definitely, and it's also honoring in Chicago, you have a huge Mexican community. Uh, so I feel like America is, is, is a very transient society where the root of American food is very regional. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in Guam or Alaska or in uh, Boston, you know, it's, it's regional in all of those places. Right. So there is so many diverse stories of the way you can start about American food and I mean we serve also we would take pride in being very seasonal when you know six weeks ago there was four dishes with tomatoes and four dishes had corn in them as they should you know what I mean um, because we honor we want to honor the season also so you know speaking of regionality you know I think some people um, either loved it or they hated it but it seemed to be sort of this point about Mercado is that you you were sort of pan-African, you didn't focus on one particular region, like you could have just done Ethiopian or, you know, you could have done, you know, um, and so some people liked that, some people didn't. I wondered about your decision to do that, you know, did you feel like you couldn't do it regionally or you felt like it was just so deep that it was, it was more fun to kind of explore the broader range? 
Well, I, I it, it's always interesting people that goes to restaurant and people that are the communicator for restaurants, the the riders and sometimes the chefs and the owners and the riders combined. Um, in order for anything to work, the mindset of the customer has to be, I want to go there and have a good time, right? So the customer doesn't necessarily sit and analyze. Um, so I see the smiles of the people that come and go from any of my places, and that's what I count. Um, I, I, um, when we, 20 years ago, when you, you started the theme about Pan-Asian restaurant, was very much because the knowledge of regional Asian food, ethnic food, was very low on the average person. We said main stroke, we said Chinese cooking. Today you can't say Chinese cooking. Today you're saying regional what Chinese. So you're saying regional Japanese and you're saying... But when I, I look at African food, it's pretty much where Asian food were for Americans about 20 years ago, maybe even 25 years ago. So the knowledge of the average American for... Um, regional ethnic African food is not that high. So that's why I felt like the umbrella over a larger thing could be could be this. So So one of the interesting obviously you've raised sort of the profile of Scandinavian food in the United States. Um, although I guess I wondered if you if you, if you still feel that there's a long way to go. I mean it seems like you know one of the things I, I just selfishly I'm disappointed in is that you know, I don't know that I want you to bring Aquavita to Chicago, but maybe a new version of where you're going with Scandinavian today, because one thing is we don't really have, you know, we have a few neighborhood joints, that, but I joke that it's like mostly Ikea, and then, you know, Ann's Hather, we have like cinnamon rolls or something like that, you know, and so, it, you know, that's the thing is we don't really have a lot of good Scandinavian food even in Chicago, you know, and it seems like there's still a long way to go there. Do you feel that way? I mean, it's high on the radar now in New York, of course, because of what you've done, but do you feel like there's still more to be done? Well, I, I think um, food travels around and get on people's minds based on several different things. Either large population like China and India, or large tourism like Italy and France, large immigration like Mexico. So there's several, and, and Scandinavia, when you look at Scandinavia, they have neither of any of those small population, not a lot, a lot of tourism, not a lot of immigration. And the immigration that came was rooted about around 150 years ago. So I was always mind-boggled by the American Scandinavian food that was here before because people rooted back to Ludafisk and cultures that we didn't have anymore. So I felt what we've done with Aquavit is rolled it up to more 2008 or 2000. Or 1995. You know, we really rolled it up to where we are. At least the dialogue now is where we are t today. Now there's have happened lots of more stuff in Scandinavia in terms of design and food, and part of part of what we do in Aquavit mirrors that. But that doesn't necessarily always mean that it's a perfect scenario to build a restaurant because a restaurant needs a big community to embrace it. It needs that massive curiosity. Um, so we have Aquavit in Stockholm, we have Aquavit in Tokyo um, and New York. So we're very specific and where we strategically uh, you know, have the opportunity to put Aquavit as a brand. Yeah, I wondered about that. I mean, what's it like to bring Aquavit to Stockholm? And you know, people embrace that? I mean, because you're obviously still yeah. bringing something new. Yeah, yeah. 
but you know. Well, in every place you have to look at the story. I mean, in Akovit Stockholm, we look more at New York and America. We bring, we focus a lot around our, our raw bar, that we have a big raw bar in the middle of the restaurant, just like here. We, we bring in, we have more American drinks, right. and we, we have steak. You know, it's like a big deal for us, right? right. So we look in ourselves as, as there we are Americans. Right, know? so you're bringing yeah. something different. And in Japan, it's probably the most Swedish aquavit that there is. Mm -hmm. It's in Japan, because we want a very pure, uh, you know, we almost want to go back to dill stewed potatoes with salmon, you know, like it's a very purest country. So, so you're, wherever you are, you have to be okay. Here's the starting point. Where are we locally? And how can we infuse, you know, our own ideas to that? Uh, so that so the locally it connects with the, with, with the customers. Of course, you also had an aquavit in uh, Minneapolis or Minnesota, right? What, what was the lesson from that experience? I mean, you're a really successful guy, and mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're moving forward, and you got a lot going on, mm -hmm. but was that you know, just the wrong time, wrong place? What, 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 what no, happened well, well, what happened is, I think, um, we got four stars. We got the highest ratings you can get from everybody. Everybody said there's no doubt which is the best restaurant in town. That doesn't always translate into customers coming again and again and again. Because, and it was a big restaurant, and everything was basically fine up to 9-11, and then when 9-11 hit, and we walked into a little bit of a recession, and a lot of our clientele was outside Minnesotans who came in from LA or San Francisco or New York, and when they started doing video conferencing, and the room occupancy went from 80% to Minnesota to Minneapolis to... 40% for a long time, that's our customers. So we still had the same amount of people from Minneapolis coming, but it was a big restaurant, so we needed the Minnesotans and the outsiders to come. And when that dropped off dramatically, we just didn't have a business anymore. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the lesson, you know, you learn from your, like any individual, you learn from your highs, but you also learn from your lows. Mm -hmm. There's probably a lot of lessons of that. Um, you know, I, I'm trying just to think right out shorthand, but so you know, I felt like we we worked hard and we tried our best for five years, and uh, somehow we just did not connect. Sometimes that's a lesson. Mm -hmm. You can do the best at mm -hmm. something, and it doesn't mean that you yeah. failed. It just yeah. means that you know it wasn't it didn't work out. Yeah, because I, I mean I've seen that for sure in my own life. Mm -hmm. You're you're very successful in a lot of different venues. You've been on TV. You've done books. Um, you certainly you have a significant number of restaurants. Uh, you're sort of the example of, of the reach of a chef, that a chef can do a lot of things or they can do anything. They're, you know, it's not just limited so, so much to cooking or the food. Um, but as somebody who's had the opportunity, I mean, one of the things that you've done is you've showed how food can be sort of representative of or an ambassador for a country. You've shown that, you know, I know you, you, you've been very focused on this idea that you want people to have Africa on the mind, mm -hmm. like they have America mm -hmm. on the mind. Um, and I think you've started to do that with mm -hmm. your cookbook. Have you been, have you seen limitations to what you can do? Or do, are you frustrated at all about the reach of a chef? Are there things that, you know, I guess the other way I think about it is you've been cooking for like 22 mm -hmm. years or 23 mm -hmm. years now. 
And you know, one of those things is, you know, when most people have been doing something for 23 or even 30 years, sometimes that's when they retire or they want to do something else. I mean, obviously, in your case, you're really, really young. So, you know, I'm curious about that perspective being, you know, you know, still in your 30s and having done all this, you know, how you think about that or, you know. Well, for, for I think the perspective is always, it's, it's, it's always moving. Um, my perspective still is, I came to this country with $300 and I, uh, I come from pretty humble backgrounds and food has, food has taken me uh, beyond my wildest sort of own visions. Um, and it will continue to do that if you work hard. Um, you've probably gone beyond your wildest dream as a writer already. If you, you know, the day you quit your job and told your parents, like, I'm quitting, I want to write, they were like, what? You know? But you did it, not because you sat around, because you had a thought and you put it together and you approached it and you worked at it and etc. So I don't look at it as limitations. I think that food has, for me, so many different entrances. It could be whether I'm giving a cooking class out in the countryside in Ethiopia, where we're just talking about how, how, how to take care of a knife and, and boiled potato. It could be the simplest form. Or it could be doing a really creative dish uh, that I know we're going to do here tonight, for example. You know, so I feel like I will always work within f food. It could be that I go to a daycare 10 years from now and teach the average guys uh, in a rough neighborhood about how to take care of uh, filet fish. My point is I will always work with food and people. It's food and people. It's not just food. And as long as I do that, I, 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 uh, I enjoy it. You know, like, I know later on today I'm going to go up to Markberger and I'm working with cooks that doesn't have the experience that I have. And they're probably, you know, some of them might never have the chance to do what, what I know. But you connect. You connect with that guy. And he's a better cook today than he was six weeks ago. That's an amazing thing for him and it's an amazing thing for me too. So I just, food has really given you so many things. So as long as I keep working on it, I will always be excited about it. Now, like anything, there are there are Mondays and <laughs> there are rough days. But, yeah, but but, it, but it's it's really cool then how you channel your energy. You if you if you don't f feel good about yourself or you, the day or whatever, then you got to be very careful that you stay out stay out of people's ways because people look at you and they want to know and they don't want to get yelled at and you you can't be pissy with people, mm -hmm. you know, and walk around the block another time and right. come back. Because they're looking to yeah, you. Yeah, they're looking, exactly. So that's something you have to understand as a leader. If you demand and are demanding, now you've got to live up to that. And that, and that's, that could be hard sometimes when you got a bad review or when, you, when something didn't go your way or whatever, you know. Is it just as satisfying? Do you have the same kind of inspiration as you did you know, when you were a 16-year-old cook or 17-year-old cook in terms of, is it just as satisfying to cook or to, to, to make food as it is to be uh, yeah. uh, sort of an inspirer of people no, or a uh, manager? It, it's, it, it's incredible to, you know, because it's still, you still, um, I wouldn't say nerve-wracking, but it's still, a, 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 you still don't know every day if it's going to work, which is, a, which I like, you know, there's something exciting about that part. 
you know. We just, I mean, the slightest little thing, I mean, we, tonight we're going to do some simple dish with clams, just a simple dish with clams. And the broth we're cooking is beer and miso. So we go back and forth, you know, blonde miso or dark miso. I mean, it's just a tiniest little thing. But that dish going on tonight, as a special. And we, you know, we did it over and over yesterday. And this is something super excited about that, you know. I can't even explain it, but it is. Probably the kind of thing, the reason you're successful or the, what keeps you going is you can find it. Yeah. You can find inspiration in everything that you're doing. Or that's the important mm -hmm. thing about it. We've been arguing back and forth, me and Seth, about a or fish and ships, a tempura bottom. How thick it should be, because fish and ships came, came also from a time when people were poor. So the batter was important to be thicker, to thin out, you know, because you didn't have a lot of fish. Yeah. So a lot of people like that thick batter and less of the fish. And now when today's fish is so incredible, now you want less batter. Right. And really just texture or coated around it. People weren't using like thick halibut sticks yeah. back in the no, day. No, exactly, exactly. It wasn't the free, you know, the, 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 the beautiful wild Alaskan or something like that, you know? No, I'm saying, I think I'm good. So, 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 you know, so we're going back and forth about this stuff. And I love him for standing up and, and da, 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 you know, we go head to head in, in a very, like, the way you and I, I'm sure, can have a food discussion about which beer is the best or which best restaurant in Chicago. You can go head to head. So, so that's fun. And the minute I don't have that battle, well, then come and ask me, then I might not do it. You know what I mean? Then I'm like, oh, shit, I can't be this. Because this is important. Tell me about, you talk a lot, of, or you, you've given a lot of credit to your grandmother mm -hmm. for being your inspiration to cook, you know, but I haven't really read or heard much about her. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about... Well, my, my, my grandma, you know, my, I, I, I'm connected through, with poverty through so many different ways, through my Ethiopian family and through my Swedish family. Now my Swedish family, my parents came out of that. Uh, but my grandmother, she was born in, in that, and in terms of cooking, what did I give her for tools? So she didn't have the chicken breast, she had the chicken wing, you know, she had the ox tail, she, so... Thankfully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, thankfully there's no yeah. boneless, skinless chicken yeah, breast. Exactly. So what did that do? So she, she became an awesome cook, you know, like, and, but, but also her palate is different, right? Like, the meat had to be boiled or cooked or braised until it fell off because they didn't have like ribeye or any, you know, any right. of that stuff. So it, it did change our palate and it did change her palate and the way she cooked. Like my grandfather never liked butter. He liked grease in the pan because he was never exposed to butter. Mm -hmm. You know, when they did uh, coffee, they used to have the roasted beans and then they used the second or the third, you know, like when you when you roast it and you put it through a filter, mm -hmm. you don't now you throw away the filter. You keep it for you a keep second. It second, even third. You know, it's, it changes palates. So uh, she was an awesome cook. If we was meat, it was meatballs that she made. If it was very often fish, it was fish balls that she made. So, so with everything was, you know, she had a mortar and pester in the house and she like grinded up the spices. She bought whole. We pickled everything, we, we'd made apple jams, we made, you know, you become a really good knowledge about the woods. Because these are great mushrooms, these are seps, 
porcinis, these are chanterelles, and this is the season to get them. So you could go out and yeah, do some foraging if yeah, you needed to? everything, everything. And, 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 and that was, you know, now it's like a luxury. We walk in the, in the woods because it's fun and luxury. But they did, for her, it was a necessity. Right. And so, so she ate well all her life through a, through a shoestring budget because she could convert and cook and cook for others. So that was something that I came up with. Uh, and having real food every day at my house, you know, because your parents are busy, they can't just make a three-course menu or a two-course menu, you know, like on, right. on a Monday. Right. And, and uh, I had real food every day, and, I, and that completely set the palate that I had for real food. A lot of young cooks coming up, especially American, middle class, it's very hard for them. Because a lot of the Latin guys coming up, coming in here, maybe on a lesser budget, but they ate real food. They had an aunt or a mother or a grandmother that cooked in their house. Right. So they know real taste. Right. A lot of... Uh, You're still getting a lot of tripe, a lot of yeah. skirt steak, yes. the awful cuts. Yes. But, but then, then you have a lot of the kids that grew up and went to the best schools. They can train themselves to anything. But that real flavor palette of home cooking is very often gone sometimes because they didn't come up through four or five nights a week of home cooked meal. I mean, they ate, maybe right. they ordered in, or maybe Crap they went. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and TV dinners, or you know, like that type of stuff. And that's a different taste. And it's not easy to learn taste when you're 22. Right. It's a very hard thing to do. Well, I think that's the other interesting thing here is you you started cooking school at 16, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of people, there's a lot made about the fact that you were the youngest three-star New York Times guy, you know, I think we were 24, 25, um, but I guess the way I look at it in some ways is like, you probably weren't a normal 24-year-old because you've been doing this already for like eight years, that, I mean, you, you, in some ways you were kind of far ahead of where we would be, maybe culturally as Americans in that sense. I mean, we might go to school 18 if we're lucky, and maybe yeah. even later. No, but it, I mean, any, anything is, is you, you, you've been given a certain amount of cards and then it's a matter of what do you do with them, right? What do you do with them and how do you uh, take care of the responsibility and the opportunities uh, and the things that come your way? Uh, there will never be a chance that you're ready, the opportunity is there, and you know, you, you're just not going to walk into that day when, hey, we waited for you, here it is, go and grab it. No. You always have to be ready. Yeah, you have to, exactly. Uh, and and you're, I was ready probably at 21. Uh, and you're not ready at 32. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's so many different things. Because I felt like I wrote down my stuff always, wherever I were, and I cooked my stuff. Even if it was in my little apartment or whatever, I, you know, I cooked it. So when I got the opportunity to perform, uh, I had some of that stuff in my back pocket. And you had the opportunity because mm -hmm. your chef unexpectedly yeah. died, yeah. right? Yeah. But a bit, but 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 still, it, it's just it's, it's just preparation, preparation, preparation. You know. Mm -hmm. So. Um. You know. You were cranes forty under forty. And you know, there was an interesting quote in there where you said, my prime as a chef is going to come in my 40s, mm -hmm. not in my 20s. You're not, I'm not concerned about growing fast. You're getting closer to that now than you were then. Mm -hmm. um, 
is this are you starting to accelerate a little bit now are you starting well, to well you you're you're, you're uh, the canvas is larger and and thanks to american food that's always pushing forward there's new techniques and uh, we look at food from a different point of view when i started cooking it was one country that was the inspiration france five years into it it, it Italy came to the pictures then all of a sudden Japan came into the picture and then America came just like and then Spain came and now the world is here so with that comes foods that we didn't know vocabulary that we didn't know and techniques that we didn't know so if you a lot of chefs when they stop looking at these techniques and these foods, then it's, then they stop developing. It's like if you're if you if you're an, for an athlete, you still have to have new shoes and 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 learn from the new techniques right. wherever they wherever they come. As long as you do that, Michael Phelps is wearing like yeah. the five hundred dollars suit. Or uh, absolutely, and he and he if he didn't, you know, he would still be great, but he, he probably wouldn't get eight goals, right? Right. So you got to be current. Uh, so I think cooking is very important to have one, one, one part invested in your past, one part very much in the present, and just peeking in to the future also. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there should be equal, third, 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 but I, th- I always try to look at back there, right here, and what's coming over there. Uh, because that we're going there regardless. And if I don't want to go there, believe me, Grant is going, you know, or whoever's going, you know, people right. are going, you know. Um, so if I want to be associated and part of that dialogue, guess what? I got to get going. So, but if it's too far ahead, then the public might not get it. So it's, 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 it's a balancing act. So, I mean, I guess that's the natural question is what are you peeking at right now? I mean, what, what, I mean, is Seat House, uh, you know, an extension of where you're going or is it? Well, well in, in many ways, I think it's about building um, comfort is very important in, in, in the, the cuts of meats and the fishes that we use, comfort in how you sit, building something that is elegant but yet approachable. That's, that's definitely where America is going affordable, right, within everything, durability. So I think about those things. Uh, building a, so, and I think Seahouse has a lot of that. It has a lot of approach, approachability, but yet it's a, you can bring your mom here, or you can have a business dinner here, or you can bring a date, whatever. And, and before restaurants were fine dining was fine dining, and you had to dress a certain way, and you didn't know. Jacket. You jacket, always. all of that stuff. And, and we've said no to that today, you know, so I think that's part of it. It's uh, also probably good to have comfort in when you have all this economic stuff yeah, going down. People yeah, yeah. need a place to yeah. kind of hunker down, yeah. be, you know, yeah. relax again. Yeah, our mac and cheese represent that, you know, and that's going back, but it's how can make it current, you know what I mean? So I, I peek, peek uh, at, a, at a lot, look at a lot of different things and... Um, you, I don't think restaurant and food you can't necessarily be trendy because it's a it's a we're a, it's a slower medium you know to build something and create food is it's slower than the latest color in the fashion something like that but we have to be aware of our surroundings you know and I'm trying to be very you know I'm always taking pride in 
and, and being aware of my surroundings, you know. One of the things I was struck by was that um, I heard that the the um, when you did the, when you worked on the cookbook, the African cuisine, and it took like five years to do that project. Is that right? I wonder um, how you stick to something like that. You obviously have a lot of things going on. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, obviously it was important to you, mm -hmm. um, but that's that's a long time to work on something. Yeah, but every every book I do normally take three to five years because. Um, Africa, for example, before I started, I wasn't good at African food. And I knew I wasn't good at African food. So I, ha I had to learn before I tell you. So I couldn't do it in 18 months. And here it is. And I wanted to allow myself to have times in between each trip. Take my notes, cook it, cook it at home. Does it work in the restaurant? No, it didn't. And at the same time, I didn't want to do it from... I didn't want to go to Joburg, stay at a hotel, eat at some restaurants, come back. That's what I didn't want to do. I stayed with my dishwasher's family in Senegal during Ramadan. You know how cool that experience is to go to the market, get up in the middle of the night, get the stuff, cook it, eat at 4 o'clock in the morning, everybody goes to work, then prepare all day for when people come back home and they can eat and they eat like crazy. Because it's Debbie haven't been like so. I wanted to have really. Did you get, did you get to celebrate Eid? Of yeah, 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 absolutely. I was there in it was February, maybe 2002 or something like that. So Ramadan was it was winter time. But so so it's. I was very clear about the experience I wanted to have. You know, I didn't want to brush it. Oh, I've been to Africa a couple of times. It was great. No, I like I I've been to the you know I met the woman that did, all she did for Halas Last was beef tatar. She's 80 years old, and she told us a story, and she, we did it. You know, you, you, you kill a lamb, you come back three days later when it's calmed down. You, you butcher it, and da, 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 da. you know, like it's real stories. Right. And uh, so that couldn't, that couldn't, so for me, it was you can't like, do that for no, you can't do that. You got to get in it. So when you are, we talked a lot about being a chef and having access. Well, I had access to publishers, and the publisher says, right, do I do a book? Then you also got to be smart, but okay. So you put the product up here, and then you gotta have a publisher and the other thing said, wait a little bit, we need another year. We need so I was lucky enough to work with the publishers that always said to me, take your time. Take your time. It got you know, in the end it got difficult because it's been <laughs> a long time, but um, they didn't rush me to it. And outcome if I never do an African book again, I'm fine. I'm good with that. Just as I felt with the Aquavit book. If I never do a Swedish book again, I'm good with that because I felt like we put our right. passion and energy into it. And I always wanted to have a shelf of stuff that I've been participating in. Timeless quality and good values. Always, I just want to pull it out like this. Oh, yeah, okay. You can hold up the Aquavit book. That's an eight-year-old book now. Can still hold it up. When you do it, you do it once. And you yeah, do it right. yeah, and you see it, and it might be you might touch on it again, but like I, there's a timelessness that I want in the project. That it, I don't want it to say 2002, literally on the on the dishes. Um, yeah, the book we're talking about, Soul of a New Cuisine. Um, one of the things that you did, you did something that was a little um, ahead of its time, is you did the distribution channel through Starbucks. Mm -hmm. I wondered, how, how was that a good distribution channel for something fantastic, like that? Fantastic, fantastic. Because when I, when you do some, I mean, you're in, you're in this industry. But the average individual that I felt, 
that would not go to Barnes and Noble or Borders and look for Africa, right? I felt like Africa sometimes you got to throw it up so big. Because when you do another book, food product, you don't have to worry about famine, AIDS, wars, warlords, and all that. Africa is so, for, good, for right or, or not right, it's so tainted of all this other stuff that you got to surpass before you actually get to the stuff. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was important to get to places where the average Joe, that he wasn't prejudiced against Africa, not at all. He just didn't. Right. Just didn't know. It's like anything yeah. else. You don't think about it. Yeah, you don't think about it. Exactly. So, so, and, uh, and I feel like Africa falls in that in a lot of ways. I don't think the average Joe had dislikes Africa or... But it's just not necessarily on... Uh, when he looks up, when he's going to book his next vacation, it's just not there. Right. Uh, so I felt like, well, for me it's important to put it there. In front of food. Get it in front of it. Whether you click on it or not. But if, you, if it's starting to get there, eventually you will go to Cape Town or Morocco or... Because you've been to Paris now, you've been to London. Mm -hmm. and so now it's like, and you know, what's behind there? What's behind, what's, what's in the southern Mediterranean next time? Mm -hmm. So um, the, the Starbucks cha channel uh, distribution really gave us the opportunity to reach younger demographic people who Oh, cool! That's great. You know, so he did that, and I think it—it was a great, great, great combo. You know? That's cool. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's something you don't really think about. But the other thing that you think about is you're like, well, if somebody's just coming in to buy their four-dollar coffee, do they really say, hey, you know what? I want to buy a book too. And I guess yeah. that's that's true. Is that that they've showed that people are buying CDs and things like that, yeah. which you wouldn't think of. But that's what no. You know. I mean, they completely pushed it. What even myself or, or you and you in there is like. Oh, I like this song. Oh, here it is. Like it's like you complete you you went to complete something completely different. And but I also felt like with Starbucks, they were also part in my country to raise the awareness of coffee, and they buy a lot of Ethiopian coffees, and coffee is a big, big part of Ethiopia's export. Yeah. So to work with somebody that's actually been there for a long time, it's not like I worked with a company that never traded with Africa, mm -hmm. you know. And and trade in terms of build awareness of African food. African ingredients come to the States, it's very important. Mm -hmm. I mean, you brought it up, I mean, coffee is a big part of Ethiopian mm -hmm. culture. It's certainly, you know, a, good, a big part of some, what we drink here, you know, we're drinking a lot of African coffees now, I think. Are you, are you a passionate consumer mm -hmm. of coffee? Mm -hmm. Is that something mm -hmm. you love? Mm -hmm. do, do you have any sense, are, are African or Ethiopian coffee some of your favorites? Or? Yeah, by far. Yeah? By far. I mean, it's, it's uh, I'm not sure if America is, is, has uh, America has a different coffee culture than uh, Ethiopia. I mean, you, you can't. It, it, it's when you grow something and it's part of your everyday, almost DNA. Mm -hmm. Then you have a different. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's almost coffee. Coffee for us yeah. came in a metal yeah. can. <laughs> it's, it's like I, I think that the, the 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 wine the wine makers in Sonoma has a similar relationship to wine as a coffee in, in Ethiopia, so to speak, you know, the one who grows it. Because you go to the market, I mean, if I send out my 12-year-old sister, she knows which coffee beans to buy, the green mm -hmm. coffee beans. She knows how it should look like, and she knows which one, and she picks it. She's 12, I mean, she can pick out. She smells it, oh, no, 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 she sends it back. So, um, and the way we drink coffee in Ethiopia also, it's a whole ceremony of if you're coming over to my house and have coffee, 
it goes back to the fundamental. Why should we have coffee? Because we, we want to see each other, mm -hmm. you know? So <laughs> here we focus very much on the gimme and I'm on my way. Mm -hmm. There the coffee procedure means, oh, come over to my house, let's hang out. Mm -hmm. That means that we make the fire together and we talk. It means that we roast the coffee, mm -hmm. then you smell it and you want to see. We show, I show you how I roasted it. And then you look at it and say, oh, that's nice. No, I want a little bit darker, maybe. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I roast it a little more. Then you pound it. Then you bring up water to a boil. And then you put the coffee straight in. Mm -hmm. And then you let the coffee sink. No filter, nothing. Right. And then I, I pour it to you. I pour an espresso cup to you. And depending where you are in the country, sometimes you put salt in the coffee. Sometimes you put butter in the coffee. Sometimes you put sugar in the coffee, depending on which region you are. Then, very often, somebody pops popcorn. It's like, you're like, what, what's happening now? What the hell is it? <laughs> and it's not a matter of, oh, does popcorn work with coffee? It's just a matter of you and I having this conversation. Maybe I haven't seen you in right. six months. We're catching up. So the coffee ceremony, which maybe takes 25 minutes, the whole, the whole thing, or 30 minutes, but it's not invested in how quick can you and I have a cup of coffee. It's more or less like, come over, let's hang. So that's coffee culture. Yeah. Well, uh, it's funny because I, I always French press. Yeah. And even then, I get a lot of you know a lot of people get mad at me. They're yeah, like, what, what, what are you doing? Yeah. It take, I'm like it takes like seven minutes. Yeah. Come on, but that's yeah. like too long for people. Yeah. But that's great though because then you have you teaching them if you're gonna come to my house, like don't if you don't have seven minutes, don't come. Right. Like, don't come. Like, that's, that's another message that you're right. sending. Like, I, I'm happy you're here. We're going to have a drink together. We'll get coffee, wine, whatever. And just let's hang, you know? Well, nothing speaks better than when they have that first sip. Yeah. And they're like, exactly. what is this? Yeah. You know, like, because they've always yeah. had it out of the yeah. drip or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, with this glass thing that doesn't do anything, mm -hmm. just made better coffee. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, I, so I love that. And, and, you know, like, wine we've learned a lot by because wine is terroir and wine industry has been very good at explaining the difference between a Pinot and a Merlot and the difference between grapes. Well, coffee is terroir too and maybe the coffee industry hasn't been as clear about explaining the different beans and it actually does yeah. change when it rains more in a certain part of the world or if you have hotter summers, you know, it happens, you know, like those are the things that changes the flavor of the yeah, beans. Yeah, it's not just one bean, it's yes. thousands yes. and thousands. I mean, we're getting better, especially locally, yeah. Intelligentsia yeah. and Metropolis, we have some really good guys who are doing some really good work. But we're catching up to, I mean, if you, I, I, look, I compare it a lot to the wine industry, but I think the wine industry globally has done a great job. Yeah. First they took off that hat of stiffness for long, 25 years ago, whenever they took that out. Now once that was off, it just became fun and drinking. And now everyone who orders a bottle of wine has much more fun and can enjoy it. I think, hopefully one day we're going to get there with coffee too. Yeah, right now we're in 1970 yeah. with coffee. Yeah. That's where we're exactly. at. Like you were with wine. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, another thing I've read in some interviews is you talk a little bit about Charlie Trotter as being mm -hmm. sort of an important figure mm -hmm. or something. I wonder what that relationship is like or what, well, what he taught you. Or Well, first of all, Charlie was really cool to me at a time where nobody had to be cool to me at all. Uh, and I appreciate that a lot. It's like, um, uh, I'm going back to 95, 96. Uh, and part of our industry is so much giving access to each other, right? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I had all these talented cooks and wanted to get out and wanted to see places and you know you talk about the linear book but back then it was Charlie's book um, that changed and I was like who is this guy in Chicago what is this you know, like it's unbelievable I've never seen pictures we never seen pictures like that back then yeah it was not only a cookbook but yeah. it was like a philosophy yeah, book yeah but, it, but it, was, it was really incredible and I think you're gonna you put a 15 year old it's almost 15 years, it's like probably 15 years ago now, and you, the spectrum, that book, those books going to grow even more because, and he didn't do it from uh, Lyon, he did it from Chicago, you mm-hmm. know? So, um... Yes, I the French laundry cookbook. Yeah, that, yeah. you know, you, you, but that was the platform, you needed Charlie's book, and then the French laundry book came, and maybe now uh, Grant's book's going to be, you know, it could be, you know, God knows. But, so Charlie was really cool at the time, and he, he said, hey, Mike, you send up any cook you want. I was like, well, that's really nice. And many times. And then I got the chance to send him cooks. And then he came down and ate in my restaurant. And then I got a chance to go with him to some event. And then he showed me a room. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> the older room at a two-bedroom apartment. Yeah. I'm like, What's, what is this? I've never, I've been to Bangkok by then. I had. But I just never had food like that. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. Not only that, but you were paying like 60 bucks for Thai yeah. food. And yeah, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm good with that because I felt like I, this is the cool, one of the coolest dining. You know, I remember we sitting in a cab and we were going and boom, there's a restaurant. I'm like, is this a restaurant? Yeah, you're like in the middle from, of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> and so he took, he gave me access to um, this underground that, that, you know, the world as we know us in restaurants is. And, if you don't know it, you're just not invited. I mean, it doesn't mean you know, can't come, but it's just like you have no access to it. So he showed me access to that. And that's something I would always, always, always uh, be appreciative, appreciating of, you know. Your, uh, your chef here, Seth Siegel Gardner, he, um, I know he's done some time with Gordon Ramsay as well, and he's worked for you for a while. Maybe, what can you tell me about him and, and why he's a good partner for you here in Chicago? Well, well Seth is an incredible talent. Incredible talent. Uh, Seth is a good guy, which is which is two two really important building blocks, right? And it's not always coming together like that, but he is. Um, and um, he has his own opinions. He's not a pushover, so he stands up. And he, he he he. I like the fact that he thinks. I mean, I met Seth when he was 23 years old, and I was like. He wasn't like the other cooks. Like he, he was like, hmm, he thought a little bit about everything. You couldn't just tell him do this. Right. No, no. He wasn't scared. Either. No, no, no. He's been very smart about his approach, and it's very polite. But he had a thought. It's like, I was wondering this. So what happens here? And you just have it's different, different individuals. So you, you have to. You know, out of all the cooks you plow through, you don't remember every cook. You remember the guys that stands out, and it doesn't have to be the loudest screamer. So Seth has something like that, and, and he's not a loud mouth uh, in, the, in the kitchen, but he's very opinionated, mm-hmm. very opinionated. So that means that the guy has to sort of almost huddle around him, and it's like, okay, what, what is he saying, and what, what does he want here? And uh, so I, I think for, for many, many, many reasons, he, he is uh, enormous talent, uh, and uh, Seth will be always successful in food, always. Phil Vitell, Tribune guy, gave you two stars here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I read the review, it seemed like he loved the place. Yeah. He didn't really say anything constructively bad about it. I wonder, do you think he would have gotten three stars if you were 
you know, the Chicago guy, do you think it hurts you at all that you came from New York or anything like that? Does it, you know, is it unfair? Is it, you know, I mean, life is not fair, but. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you're, you, you know, if I'm gonna look for fairness, I should probably go back to Sweden. It's a pretty fair country. You know, do you know what I mean? That's like, yeah, that's, yeah. it ain't gonna be through the windows of the food critics or, or yeah. you know. And I can't also look for validation constantly from food critics. I am extremely proud of what we have. I am aware of where we are as a restaurant and where we want to go. And that validation has to come within the four walls of here. Um, and I, I agree with you, Phil, I'm sure he read to me like he loved the place. So I went back to the guys and said, great job. And what I, when he said also, it sounds like a beginner, something like that. The headline was like, uh, Samson sounds like a beginner. I felt, what I always stated when I came to Chicago, I have enormous respect for the food city of Chicago. Back from Charlie's, when Charlie took me around to coming here and all that stuff. So I'm serious when I mean that we're a new restaurant trying to establish ourselves in an incredible good food city. That's not a beginner's talking. That's just a that's an humble, hardworking individual speaking, being really, really honest about. In a year from now, we have a foothold in the community, and it, you know the word of mouth that, that our type of restaurant is have spread and solid. And it's also about changing people's habits because they got to leave their current five places, and we got to get on that five list. Mm -hmm. so, and that takes time. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm good, I'm serious about that. And, and sometimes that comes out as, oh, he sounds like a beginner. No, I don't sound, I'm, I'm very serious about, I'm not the type of guy who rolls in and says, yeah, we're from New York, and you know, that, 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 that doesn't hold for me. Like, you gotta work, you gotta make it every day, and you gotta move forward in a, in a, in a, certain, in a certain fashion. Um, well, you're very aware of it. I mean, earlier you made the mention is about you know the Latino population mm -hmm. here and how you make nods to mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So obviously, it's about understanding your community, mm -hmm. and you're 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 very smart about that. You know what I like though is that when we were talking about the regionality earlier, you had said this idea that there are people who eat the food, mm -hmm. diners, mm -hmm. and then there are people who communicate about the food, yeah. critics, those mm -hmm. kind of people. And it's it, I'm glad I'm, I like that you make that distinction. Mm -hmm. You know, is that because I think. As I think about it, of course, from my own perspective mm -hmm. as a communicator and a diner, is that it's incumbent upon me mm -hmm. to think more like a diner than it is for me mm -hmm. to start thinking like a communicator. Yeah. Because you're right, people don't come into a restaurant yeah. and go, "Oh, this is regional." But, you know, they go, "Does this you, taste you, good?" You have another, you have another advantage. You have, a, you have, a, you have, a, you have a true advantage. That when you lose that advantage, maybe you have to find another advantage. But you're truly passionate about your topic, about the food. So that means that you also dual citizen. Right. You, you, you can um, feel like the diner, you can feel like the, the rider, and you can also understand the, the, the chef or the restaurateur. Because you're truly passionate about the topic. A lot of communicator, oh, let's cover this because we're going to cover this. Right, they this. just do it because it's the new thing, or they were a sports writer yeah, and they got the yeah. food being yeah. with you. So, so that, that's separation right there. Mm -hmm. and, and if you look at, I mean, take Ruth Reichel or take even Phil Vettel, take they're, they're passionate about the topic. Otherwise, right. they're, they're smart writers. They can write about that's anything. That's what they do. And that's what they do. And it comes through. And it so, Rudy, you're, you're a painter. Is that right? Mm -hmm. 
What do you paint? What do you paint? Just stuff. Just stuff that goes through uh, stuff. Like I, for me, like when you're creative, you don't stop. Like when I have a day off and I'm just chilling out. Like I, I just like to have like something in front of me and I, uh, I might do something and uh, you know visually. You know when I have Ethiopia here, I have America here, and I have Sweden here, and they smell different and they taste different, and so I have a lot of impressions in my head from a trip I took or from what something I did. So I always try to sort of, you know, it might be the Ethiopian alphabet, you know, written in in Berber with the cover of the latest craziness of New York Times. You know, like that. It's impossible to for anybody else to sort of. You know, like feel that because that's just just what, what what happened. You know what I mean? So it's just more about communicating to myself. Maybe it's it's a calming, a very calming. Just like carrots, peeling carrots, it's calming to me. Mm -hmm. Filleting in salmon is calming to yeah, me. Yeah, you can lose yourself. Yeah, yeah, you can just shh, you know, and you're good. And it could be I pick it up and then I don't do it for two months or whatever, but I'm still identifying. Always, I look forward next Sunday. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? And I always call myself a loser if I don't do it. You know, like. You put off these goals that you want to do, and if you don't do it, that means that you don't have have a life, right? Yeah. And so you always like, "Fuck, you're such a loser." You know. <laughs> and like, you know so it's also the well, same. Yeah, obviously, it's it's sort of a hobby, but yeah. you know, the thing about people who are successful or ambitious, you know, it's like you always want to be good at everything you do. Yeah. Do you have any ambitions at all? At some point, you want to do any galleries? Or no, like that? no, no, not not at this point. But just I, for yourself. Yeah, and, and, and for my friends, like a, a birthday gift or, or, you know, when they were there with me or, you know, like, so it's more on that level. And, and it's also something that a lot of things that I've done is public. Food is public at right. this point. So, so you realize, like, a lot of things you want to do is private. Yeah, you got to save a part yeah, of yourself, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. So uh, you just want that to be like, oh, you want... I want to give it to my sister. And Kick you give back it. and watch yeah. a little soccer. Yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. I really appreciate so, it. Me too. It's good appreciate to meet you. Nice to meet you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. As usual, if you have any feedback, drop me a line at mjnagran at hungrymag.com. And in the meantime, stay hungry. <laughs>